With that being said, we'll start today's message. Last week, we started a long series on the book of Hebrews. I don't know how long. Two years, three years, probably closer to three years. You know, I could be wrong about that. We might fly through sections of it. But the basic point of last week's message lays the foundation for the entire series. The basic point of last week's message is that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. God has not drastically changed how He interacted with people. Everything in the Old Testament times was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ and everything since the Gospels, which is the New Testament times, including the times we're living in now, is pointing back at Jesus. Jesus Christ is, and always has been, the central message of the Bible. We need to understand that. This week, we are going to turn our attention to one verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Now you guys are going three years. If you're going to go one verse at a time, look, I, sometimes it'll be one verse, sometimes it'll be five verses. Rarely will it be more than five. <clears throat> so, let's read this together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your translation may be a little different. That's okay. Here's what it says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father, we know that this is your Son, Jesus, of whom you are speaking. We know that you want us to understand this verse. And so we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would fall upon each person here today. That we would not be like the Pharisees who had eyes to see but did not see and ears to hear yet did not perceive. But Lord, that we would have open eyes, open hearts, open ears, and we would come to understand what this passage means. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, the two verses that we looked at talked about how God spoke to us in the Old Testament times, in many ways and and in various ways through the prophets. But in these times that we currently live, He is now speaking, and you need to understand, I'm picking my words carefully, not He spoke to us through Jesus, He is still speaking. He now speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay? He is, he is still speaking. This message is powerful. But what kind of person is this son? 
that he's, that he's spoken to us through and that he continues to speak through. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he is the exact representation of the Father. And while this is exciting for some people, it's a bit scary for others. That's because some of us have daddy issues. Do you have daddy issues? That did not work. There we go. Do you have daddy issues? Now, I'm going to share about two friends of mine. I'm not going to tell you who they are. Because some of us have daddy issues, and I think you'll relate to one or both stories. This one friend of mine, very close to, uh, she grew up in a home that wasn't a Christian home. But this can happen in Christian homes, too. In her home... Her dad was one to be feared. Violence abounded. You never knew when her dad, who is just as big as I am, was going to start throwing punches at a mother who weighed less than 100 pounds. At small, small children. This friend of mine remembers her dad grabbing her mother by the hood of her coat and spinning her around the top of her head, his head, in anger. She remembers this dad holding the mother out over a cliff and saying, I could drop you off of here right now and kill you. And nobody would be any the wiser because they all know how clumsy you are. She remembers her dad holding her down as a little girl. And it starts to seem like it's fun as he tickles, but then he continues to tickle until tickling becomes painful, until it becomes torture. And she is crying, begging, please, Daddy, stop. Please, Daddy, stop. Please, Daddy, stop. What I'm getting ready to share is kind of gross, but it's part of the story. She remembers her dad holding her down head between his knees while he put his rear end on her face and passed gas while he st stood over her as he held her down and trailed spit out of his mouth till it almost touched her and then would suck it back up and these things torturous dad I know it's gross and, and I'm not trying to be gross I just want you to understand there are some of you who are here today who have been abused by a dad like this. You got daddy issues. When you think about God the Father, your image of Father comes up and it is warped. Admittedly, it should be. <laughs> you know, if that's your if that's your story. 
And it's completely understandable that you have daddy issues. You don't like to look at God the Father. You're like really cool with Jesus. You're kind of nervous about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, he's cool. Right? But don't talk to me about the Father, because when you talk to me about the Father, I get hurt. I think that's why a lot of times when we think of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, it's our daddy issues we're projecting. And so it's the Father in the Old Testament with all of His wrath. But then the Son, you know, like the older brother, kind of takes you out, you know, cruising in town. Yeah, Jesus, He's cool. He he protects us from Dad. Now, maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're like this other friend of mine. This other friend of mine was so nervous about talking about her dad to the first friend because she knew about the first friend's dad. But she grew up in a home where dad made sure he hugged. He loved. He worked hard. They may not have had everything that they wanted, but they had everything they needed. There was never a doubt in this friend of mine's mind that her dad loved her and loved her dearly. This love was really evidence in the fact that biologically, this young lady was not her dad's child, nor her mother's. She was adopted. She knew she was loved. But because she had it so good... She was afraid of talking about how good she had it with her friend who had it so bad. Which person are you? Which one are you? In the end, it doesn't really matter which one you are. In the end, it doesn't matter if you are the one who was abused or the one who was loved and cared for. It does not matter if you were the one who was abandoned, because my first friend was abandoned by her dad as a little girl, or if you were the one who was found by your dad as a little girl or boy. In the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a correct understanding of our Heavenly Father. And how much He loves us. What matters is that we do not project our daddy issues onto dad in heaven. Some of you, I might have just blown you away. I feel like I have to explain that real quick. Some of you are uncomfortable with the fact that I just referred to God the Father as dad. I don't know who you are, but I just feel like the Lord said there's some of you uncomfortable. The word, when he says Abba Father, the word in the Koine Greek is the slang word for a father. So in English, we translate daddy. It is completely biblical that I refer to him as dad. Father, some kind of stern, but dad, you know. 
Daddy's hands weren't, you remember that old country song, Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've grown to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. It's okay to think of God as a dad. Okay? We need to understand who God the Father is. And we can do this by understanding who Jesus is according to the author of Hebrews. So what is the Father like? What is the Father like? Now, this slide as we work through it, admittedly, is going to be a lot like part of that paper that you guys read last week. Like, scholarly and painful. (laughs) Okay? Just hang with me. We'll get less scholarly and far less painful at the end. Okay? So what is the Father like? Well, the first part of this verse informs us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Now, the concept of the radiance of the glory of God is difficult to understand. You don't, some of you know this, but some of you don't know this. Bonnie has to translate me. And sometimes in the translation, there are not signs for the words I'm using. (laughs) So she has to work hard to try to get the concepts across. Across. There's no T at the end of cross. (laughs) She has to work hard to get the concepts across. Now, this is a side note. Bonnie has permission from here on out to always yell, repeat it. If I, if I whoop her down with something I'm saying. But I think it's really important for the sermon today to talk about this. These concepts, because this is what's happening inside of this, these, the radiance of God's glory. We do not have a metaphor in English for the radiance of God's glory. The concept simply does not exist in English. You say, how could that be? Okay, I'll tell you how. Go to an island that is in the tropics and ask them their word for snow. They have no concept of it because it's not part of their culture. Likewise, go to the Eskimos and ask them their concept of snow to the Inuit people and they will give you lots of words and concepts for snow. Amen? (laughs) But we don't have this concept, okay? It doesn't, there's no real equivalent in the English language. Okay? Okay? In their work, a translator's handbook on the letter to the Hebrews, the authors Ellingworth and Nida explain about this concept. The radiance of God's glory. We look at the, at the Greek words that are translated there, and this is basically the concept. He shows how wonderful God is. Or... 
how wonderful God is can be seen in how wonderful He is. That's the concept of the radiance of God's glory. If you want to know how awesome the Father is, look at the Son. He shows God. This concept, it's really, it's not a reflecting the radiance of God's glory. Some translations will say that He reflects God's glory. But it's not a reflection, but it's more of Him proceeding out of God. It's more of Him like being the rays of light that come out of God. Yes. Okay. So, to explain it this way, I'm going to use the S-U-N, the big burning ball of fire that illuminates our planet. The big burning ball of fire that is millions of miles away is like the Father. We can't look directly into that, because if we do, it will burn our retinas out. But we can see the light that the big burning ball of fire puts down. The rays. By the way, this is my explanation of the Trinity as well. And we can feel the warmth that the big ball of fire produces. That's the Holy Spirit. The rays are the sun. The Holy Spirit is the warmth. Can you have the rays without the big burning ball of fire? No. Can you have the big burning ball of fire without the rays? No. What about the warmth? No. This is the Trinity, and the Son proceeds out of the Father and shows us His glory. The middle section of the verse also informs us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God. This concept is not so hard to translate. It means he is exactly like the Father. Now, the Mormons would say that He's the exact imprint. He looks just like him, but he's separate. This is not true. Okay? You you need to understand the Mormon concept of the Trinity, because I've mentioned it, is that there are three separate gods. As a matter of fact, in, in Doctrine and Covenant 132, inside the Mormon church, inside the LDS, Doctrines and Covenants is their scripture they get the doctrines from, says that men can become gods. Okay, I say that just because I mentioned I want to mention this to you because you might have a Mormon neighbor that you're trying to witness to and you say, yeah, Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father and they're going to be like, yeah, I know, right, amen? Right? No, they don't mean the same thing. If you look at me with just a mustache and you look at my dad, my earthly dad with just a mustache, I'm pretty much the exact imprint of him. 
but I'm different. That is not what this means. Okay? This means that he is exactly God. He's not a replica, but he's the exact imprint of him here on the earth. In the Gospel of John, basically John writes it like this, and God became manifest in the flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, the next section of the verse reveals that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. And this is a really cool part. Okay? It's really neat. Two items need to be noted here before we get into it. And this is what kind of where we get into the headache part. The first is that the word, word, here, in the Greek, is from the root word, rhema. This is important because a rhema word is not a single word. It's an entire message. A rhema word is not a standalone word, but it is an entire series of words in a unified whole. There are many words in the New Testament that are from in the Greek that are translated word. We talked about that in membership class today about the logos. That's translated word. But this is the rhema word. It is an entire message. It's so important that we get this. It's the rhema word. It is, and, it's, and it's actually a, a masculine plural version of I think you pronounce ramati. But uh, it's, a, it's a rhema word. The second point is that the word power is from the Greek word dunamis. And it is often understood as the manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. The manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. Now I'd just like to give you a sidebar. It's not part of my sermon. But guys, we serve a supernatural God. Miracles, including all of those described in Scripture, are still available to the church today. And if they're not, I quit. I am not serving a God who put the earth in motion and took his hands off of it and isn't getting involved anymore. Amen? Amen. We have a supernatural God. So, we need to understand this. Now, take a breath. Shake it out. Massage your temples, get rid of the headache. Okay? Hang with me, it's all going to come together. So, I'm going to give you the the JDB translation of this verse. That's the Jerry Don Breedlove translation and I am I'm like the new King James because my dad is a Jerry Don Breedlove I'm the junior so it's like I'm the new I'm the I'm the NJD, NJDB you know anyways but uh here's here's the JDB version 
Let me read the let me read the ESV first for you. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now the JDB version. Ready, Bonnie? Huh? Okay. How wonderful God the Father is can be seen by how wonderful Jesus is. This is because Jesus is exactly like the Father and the proof is that Jesus is upholding all of creation by the power of his message. Let me give it to you again, same way. How wonderful God the Father is can be seen by how wonderful Jesus is. This is because Jesus is exactly like the Father. And the proof is that Jesus is upholding all of creation by the power of His message. What is the message? What is the message? Here's the message. Jesus left the glory and comforts of heaven in order to come to earth and pay for your sin. This is the message. This is the rhema word, friends. This is the rhema word. The central message of the Bible. Jesus left all of the splendor, all of the comforts, all of the glory and worship that was going on in heaven to become a man, to live a life in the flesh the way that you and I live a life in the flesh. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He needed to go to the bathroom and all of those things. We talked about this in membership class today. Jesus is true God and true man. He left all of that to come to earth to pay for your sin. The last part of verse 3 says this. Because he tells us what the message is in the last part of verse 3. I'm not just making this up. It's right in verse 3. Okay? Upholds the word by his... Excuse me. Upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of of the Father in heaven. The last part of the verse that tells us that Jesus made purification for your sins. I had a wonderful conversation with another friend of mine this last week over what that means and how that's in our lives. And we talked about it with this $5 theological word called justification. And I think a lot of times Christians don't understand justification. We understand forgiveness. But we do not understand justification. 
forgiveness, which was given by God the Father through what the Son did on the cross, took away something from your life. It took away the just penalty for your sins. Justification, which is part of the purification process, added something to you. Forgiveness takes away, and when something is taken away, it needs to be replaced or the person is not whole. It is not enough that you as a Christian are not guilty. That is not enough. You are righteous. I love what I'm getting ready to do. And I'll explain it after I get done doing it. If you are a sinner, raise your hand. No, you're not! Put them down! Show me in the New Testament where it calls you a sinner. If you're born again, you are not a sinner. The Scripture calls you a saint. Look at the beginning of the letters. To the saints who were at Ephesus. To the saints who were at Colossae. To the saints, to the saints, to the saints. Over and over and over and over again. You say, Pastor, it's just semantics. No, it's not. You don't understand justification. He has taken away the guilt and instead He has replaced it with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are righteous. Amen. No, that should get, you should be doing backflips down the aisle. You're righteous, amen. amen. Yeah, go ahead and clap, sister. Come on, amen. You are righteous. I said it last week. Guys, we're going somewhere. There's a unified message here. I said it last week. You are a blood-bought prince. Walk with your head high. You're righteous. You are righteous. Justification imputes Christ's righteousness to you as if it were your own. Ephesians chapter 6 says, put on the full armor of God. What do we put right here on the torso? Scream it out. The breastplate of righteousness. Put on your justification. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness and Satan says to you, Mark, you are a loser and you will never measure up to God and you're just this and that and the other thing, you can say, oh, come on, Satan, give it to me. Give it to me because it's bouncing off my righteousness. You can't get through this. When Jesus looks through the blood, when, excuse me, when the Father looks through the blood of Jesus, He sees no sin. I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to freak you out a little bit. It's probably going to make you a little nervous to go this week. The conversation that happened between Satan and God over Job was not unique. God looks down and says, Hey, have you considered Jody, my most faithful and upright servant? 
Now that makes you a little nervous because you're like, what? He's bringing the game. Have you considered Keith, my most faithful and upright servant? Have you considered Mary, my most faithful and upright servant? You have Christ's righteousness. Forgiveness removes the penalty. Justification adds to you Christ's righteousness. It says in my notes, beat on that drum for a while. Do you get it? Say, I am holy. Period. Now say it all in one time. I am holy. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that you are holy? How many of you believe that? Anybody? Raise your hand if you believe that. I I believe that there's not... I do believe that not many of you believe that. But the, but the, the New Testament is full of this truth. It says that... Paul says that I no longer live a life according to the flesh, but the, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live according to the Son of God. And I'm paraphrasing, okay? But he says it's, it's Christ in him. He says, therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. It says if you are born again, you are seated in the heavenlies not with Christ, in Christ. You are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. I know I'm repeating myself. You need to get this. You are holy. Now act like it. See, the difference between understanding forgiveness and justification is the difference between living defeated and living victoriously. When I recognize that I am holy, I can walk with my head held high and I'm no longer afraid to fail. Because I know that my failures won't snatch me out of God's hand. Like three people got that. My failures won't snatch me out of God's hands. Amen? You gotta let this sink in, church. You gotta let this sink in. This, this is the rhema word of God. This is the message, friends. God is so passionately in love with you that He removes your transgression. He takes it as far away from you as the east is from the west, buries it in the depths of the deepest oceans, puts it behind His back, remembers it no more. He does not hold it to your account. 
That's what it means when he says he remembers it no more. He doesn't forget it, because if you can remember it, then, and he doesn't remember it, then you know something he doesn't. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. We're, we're serving a fairy tale. He still knows that you did it. But he does not hold it against you anymore. So you stop holding it against you. You quit holding it against you. If Jesus doesn't hold it against you, why should you? Are you better than him? Are you smarter than him? You're like, but he does, but, but, but you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand my sin. You don't understand my thought lives. My thought life. You don't understand. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I know what goes on inside my head. It is not always holy and good. It is scary sometimes the stuff that pops in and I say, wait, i got to hold this captive to Christ. But even if I don't understand, God does. My, I, what I want for you as your pastor is for you to rise up and live holy because you already are holy. This is how much the Father loves you. That he would die for you. We sing a song sometimes in Christ alone. Remember, the, remember that verse that says, And on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here, in the love of Christ, I stand. Rise up, O men of God. Rise up, O women of God. Rise up, O children of God. Rise up, old people of God. Rise up, young people of God. Rise up and walk holy. You can do it, not in your strength but in His strength. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we preach sanctification as both a crisis and a progressive experience. The crisis experience is where you realize that you cannot live holy on your own. And you say, God, if I'm going to live holy, you better empower it. And then the progressive experience is where you rise up and walk it out. If you are a saint of God and not a sinner, raise your hand. That's me, baby. I'm a saint all the way. It is not arrogant to think of yourself that way. It is arrogant to think of yourself as a sinner. Because you're saying God's wrong and you're smarter than him. He calls you saint. He calls you friend. A friend of mine, kind of friend, acquaintance. And this is what I'm going to close with and then I'm going to show you some homework for the week. Kind of a friend, but more of an acquaintance. 
and Ron heard this acquaintance say this several times, kind of sounds arrogant when you hear it the first time. He's talking to church leaders about people at church not really liking them sometimes. And he said this. He said, If you don't like me, you lack discernment. Because my Father in heaven has perfect discernment. And he loves me. Sounds arrogant at first, doesn't it? But I want you to say that of yourself. But I want you to say it in a different way. If I don't like me, like if I, Mark, don't like Mark, if I, Mary, don't like Mary, if I, Janet, don't like Janet, then I lack discernment. Because God loves me. And He has perfect discernment. If you get nothing out of today other than this, get this. God is passionately in love with you. With all of your warts, with all of your bruises, with all of it. Because He's given you the righteousness of Christ and He sees none of it. He loves you so much that He would die for you. What difference does it make, Pastor? What difference does it make? I've already told you, I'm going to tell you again. When you start viewing yourself this way, you start attempting impossible things for Jesus that He calls you to do without fear. Sometimes we get nervous. Sometimes we're like, well, Jesus, I'm stepping out here and I don't know. You better put something underneath of there. But without fear, if I fail, if I fail, so what? If you fail, so what? Jesus still loves you. This is the rhema word. This is the rhema word. Let it sink in, please. Let it sink in. You say, well, pastor, you say this is the rhema word, that Christ reflects the Father's heart, that, that how Christ is is the Father's heart. Is this true? There's six passages of Scripture for you to read this week that will affirm to you that Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. I have never met a Christian who doubts yet whether or not Jesus loves them. But you wonder about the Father. I've met a lot of Christians like that that wonder about the Father. Does the Father really love me? Hey, these six passages of Scripture tell us that Jesus and the Father, they're one. You can put this question to bed. Your Father, not only does He love you, He's proud of you. He's smiling at you. 
He is caring for you. Monday, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Tuesday, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Wednesday, John 1, 1 through 18. Thursday, John 14, 8 through 11. Friday, John 3, 31 through 36. Saturday, John 17, 20 through 26. I read those because in just a little while we're going to be podcasting and the people listening online when they miss a Sunday are going to need to know the passages too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, some of us are struggling right now with whether or not this is really true of us. With whether or not you really love us like this. With whether or not we're really that precious in your sight. But you're not struggling with it a bit. And so we pray this week, as people come to understand that Jesus is the Father made manifest, that we will come to understand the Father's heart, that we will come to understand that we are dearly loved, and that our view of a dad in heaven would be formed by the truth about you and not by our experience here on this earth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.